Welcome to our episodes podcast, where we explore teaching and learning in a digital age. My name is Philippa Kruger, and I'm the Global Head of Languages at Education Perfect. In this episode, I chat to Kerry Lee Beasley. Kerry has 20 years of global teaching experience, including in New Zealand, England, Indonesia, Singapore, Switzerland, and China. She is passionate about supporting educators and using technology to enhance learning across the curriculum. She is an Apple Distinguished Educator and a Google Certified Innovator with a strong instructional coaching background. Outside of school, Kerry is an enthusiastic foodie and loves reading young adult novels. She also loves traveling and has recently taken up gardening. Her latest adventure has seen her move her family to China to take up the role of high school learning and tech coach at the Western Academy of Beijing. Hi, Kerry Lee, how's it going? Great, thanks. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've ended up where you are today? Sure. Well, I was a New Zealand trained teacher and I did two years of teaching in Hamilton in New Zealand before my husband and I decided that we wanted to go and see the world and do a bit of traveling. We ended up going to Europe for a year, so England for a year, like doing the typical OE and we worked in a boarding school there. And then we got jobs in Indonesia where we taught for three years before moving to Singapore where we stayed for quite a long time at 12 years. Then we decided to move to Switzerland for two years and now we're in the Western Academy of Beijing in China. Wow, so you really have moved around a lot. We have, yeah. That's awesome, that's awesome. And can you tell us what's your role now where you are in China? I'm the high school and learning technology coach at Western Academy of Beijing. So my job is to support teachers and students in using technology for learning. I also teach one class of design, which has given me a really good insight into being in the classroom. What a cool job. That sounds like an awesome job. I think it's the best job. What have been some of the highlights so far? Obviously, you've done a huge amount of travel and taught and been in schools in a large number of places. What have some of the highlights been? I have to say that the colleagues I've worked with have been one of the highlights of doing international teaching. I've met some amazing and incredible friends from all sorts of different places around the world. So there's always somewhere to stay when you're traveling and visiting. But if I think specifically to China, we have such a beautiful campus with amazing Chinese architecture. Uh, we're at the moment living in the heart of the city, which is quite contrasted to where we were living in Switzerland, which was completely rural. And we've had some fun opportunities to travel in China, of course, to the Great Wall of China, but also um, we went to Harbin where they had an amazing ice festival. So ice sculptures and snow, it was amazing. Um, and of course, my favorite thing in China is the food. And obviously, um, it's been a tough time in China in recent months. And you have now been in sort of a remote learning situation for quite some time. When your school first went into remote learning, what was the school's initial response? We first found out about the school being closed when we were on our uh, Chinese New Year holiday break. My family was in Japan skiing, and <laughs> so we thought, well, okay, what are we going to do? Um, we didn't have all of our devices with us because we went for a skiing holiday, not a tech holiday. So we we made a plan to go back to Beijing for one day and pick up our devices and then head um, to New Zealand because we thought this is like a bonus holiday. This is an opportunity to touch base with family back home and to spend some new time in New Zealand summer because the Beijing winter was pretty cold at that point. So um, we really thought it was a temporary thing and that was our plan. And here you are still now um, in the mm -hmm. end of March, it's crazy times. Mm. Initially our school 
asked us to be available during school hours. So there's a five hour time difference between New Zealand and China. So we were able to wake up a little bit later, but we were still working through to like 8.30 p.m. at night. So with our two children that we have, that was a little bit rough on them. Yeah, I can imagine. And what kind of systems were put in place for you to keep going with working? We were quite lucky in that we already had a fairly robust system in place. Our school used Moodle for the learning experiences. We had Because one of the challenges is when teachers are using all different platforms, students have to go to multiple places to find the information. So they have funneled that into Moodle where people were initially going to jump off from. And then we were branching out into other areas from that. So for design, which is the subject I teach, we use Microsoft Team. Another thing that we had in place was an emphasis on mentoring. That's a big part of our school curriculum anyway, but we wanted to make sure that we were checking in with our students really regularly, especially in this sort of situation. Yeah. And we also had platforms designed specifically for communication of key information. For us, that was Yammer. So teachers were encouraged to check Yammer and they had different sort of channels for different things. So we have one about important coronavirus updates. We had another one for tech tips. We have another one for professional learning and so on. Is that something the school was using already or is that something that was yeah. in for this purpose? So there were already systems that teachers were familiar with. There wasn't a lot of new learning for people. However, it did sort of tighten the reins a little bit for some people who have been um, using all sorts of different platforms. But just having that one place to go for teachers and students made it a lot easier. My role is technology and learning coach. So I was preparing some support materials. So I made a sort of really quick While I was in Japan, Adobe Spark site for online learning, which had some useful tools that would help people create and share learning experiences. So, for example, some people weren't familiar with making screencasts or different tools that would allow students to collaborate and share. Of course, with us being in China, a lot of the tools are not available to us. We have to be quite careful and flexible in our approach to those sort of things. So um, a colleague who worked in the middle school helped narrow those down to the tools that worked for us in China. So we've got lots of lists of different tools or suggestions for teachers in that respect. And how has this sort of initial response evolved over time? Because obviously, I think you've been going remote for, is it seven weeks now? Yeah, we've been off school. Um, We had a one week break last week, which I tell you what was (laughs) the most needed thing ever. Um, So yeah, this is our seventh week, just coming to the end of our seventh week of online learning. Wow. And how have these systems and approaches evolved over this time? Well, I think there's a great sort of tweet that was put out by Dr. Jennifer Wathel, and she sort of talked about the four stages, the first stage being to survive. So in the survival stage, I also sort of think about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've got to remember that our teachers are in really stressful situations as well. They've got families. They're not sure which is the safest place to be for them, financial stress lots of expectations and wanting to deliver the best for their students in in such difficult times. So really, the beginning was not the time to give them masses of amounts of professional learning on technology tools or pedagogical approaches. So I think our systems really have remained the same, but we are now sort of as we go through the process and we're more experienced in developing our skills and delivering the program online. We're starting now to look at growing our ability to enhance learning in meaningful ways and to offer depth sort of in the delivery and scope of learning experiences. 
Yeah, we're regularly supporting parents and colleagues with technology tips or Zoom meetings. And we have something called Web Labs, which was something we did face-to-face at school, where teachers who are experts in a particular area offer workshops for colleagues on those. So we're doing those, but via Zoom now. So I like the way that that encourages the responsibility in other teachers and builds that capacity. That's a really cool idea um, to keep the professional learning going, especially sort of in this long-term time. And like you said, probably not good to try and do that right at the start, but as people sort of <laughs> no. their routine and things, it's that's a great idea. Yeah. And I think now the initial stress of it is sort of wearing off for many people, they're now more willing to look at alternative ways of assessing, understanding or moderating their work samples or modifying approaches. So it's now that we're starting to get that growth and that's an exciting time to be in education. Absolutely. And can you describe sort of now what it sort of looks like for you guys in terms of the systems you've got in place after it's been refined over time, what's working really well? Our systems remain fairly much the same. So our work is posted in Moodle or in Teams. Instead of being available during Beijing school hours, we're now being asked to identify two hours per day of office hours. So two hours during the Beijing time, because many of our students and uh, teachers are there as well. Um, We have a responsibility to contact mentor students daily. So for me, I have a grade 11 mentor group, which is the second year before finishing school. I don't know what that is in New Zealand now. And so I have to touch base with them. And I usually do that by WeChat, which is a app we use in China. But we also do calls weekly. So I need to see or talk with each student in my mentor class once a week. That's been a really positive experience. We also have a really clear process for how to deal with late work or any concerns about students, which has certainly helped as time goes on. We still hold our regular sort of meetings via Zoom as they are appropriate, but we also make sure that we've got social opportunities. Our counselling team has been fantastic and they've put together a Friday quiz night. So that's been really popular, which we host by Zoom. And Yammer for communication about key information and tips. Those are the platforms that we're using and the systems we have in place. And so far, I think they're working really well. Great. No, I really like those ideas. And like the office hours seems really sensible rather than sort of being available all day, every day for students to come and see you whenever. I think the office hours kind of really help to make it manageable for you. And mentoring of the students sounds like a great idea too. So do you think that would work? So thinking of a New Zealand context where you have a form class, that could work quite well maybe in that context where the form teacher might contact their form class, perhaps in that kind of way that could could work really well, even if they didn't have that mentoring system set up, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I think my kids are 14 and 12 and their mentor activities might look a little bit differently. For example, we have one of them might be to take a photo of where you're learning this week. Um, Those sort of simple check-ins that sort of let them engage and they are able to sort of let them know that they're doing those sort of things, but not so arduous that it's heaps of work. That sounds like it's working really well. Are there any any things that haven't worked so well? (laughs) Lots. (laughs) Um, I think one of the biggest things for teachers is knowing when to switch off. I've got students that are in all different time zones and there's always something that I could be doing. So for example, when I'm trying meeting for 
a student that's in Switzerland, that's 12 hours behind New Zealand. So I can't remember in the middle of the day because that's going to be midnight for, for them. So those sort of things are making it challenging. And I'm still working on the winter switch off part because I'm finding myself staying up quite late when a lot of the teachers in Beijing are available. Um, we've also got, if I think about our tech team, one's in Switzerland, one's in New Zealand, one's in Australia and one's in Beijing. So scheduling meetings are really challenging and my heart goes out to those at the ends of the spectrum who have to sacrifice their sleep for the greater good of having the meeting or continuing that. It's not something that we can expect, but we need to be flexible in thinking about that. But probably the biggest learning has been about avoiding really big assignments. When we're in class, you might have an assignment that's probably taking over sort of eight weeks or six weeks. There would be regular pieces of work that need to be completed and supported in class as you go through. But the big piece might be handed in after eight weeks, like a major essay or something. But in an online setting, that's really, really difficult for students to manage. So one of the things that's worked, I guess, for us is to chunk those assignments into smaller pieces and have more regular deadlines for meeting smaller targets before submitting those big pieces. That sounds like a very sensible idea. Yeah, and probably a couple of weeks ago, if I'm thinking about things that aren't working so well, a couple of weeks ago, things were starting to sort of be quite calm in China and they were getting better. Some people were making decisions about going back, but those things change quite regularly. So this morning, for example, we found out that the Chinese government is not letting any foreigners come back to China, even with a valid work permit or visa, in their desire to reduce infections inside of um, Beijing and China as a whole. And of course, that's when we think about our students who may be in Italy or who may be in the US right now, or Spain, perhaps. It's really um, an unsettling time. And you can't do your best learning when you're worried about your own safety. And I think that's something to consider. There's certainly a lot of uncertainty around and it must be quite distressing. I mean, distressing for everyone, but for students, especially it's crazy times around the world, really. For us in New Zealand, we're just starting out on this journey and establishing a routine is still something in my family we're trying to figure out what's a good routine and how to structure our day to manage work and kids and all these things. Have you got a good routine now that sort of helps to structure things? I wish I had <laughs> I wish I had one that was awesome. I mean, we have a loose routine. It's it's not anything that we've written down. There's no times involved. Uh, one of the I've got, like I said, I've got a 14 year old and a 12 year old, and one of the nicest parts for them is that they can sleep in in the mornings. We tend to sort of have a fairly relaxing morning. The other thing is that because we're five hours ahead of Beijing, that sometimes their work isn't posted right at the beginning of the day anyway. So it doesn't make sense to be kicking people out of bed and and um, starting the routine pretty early. So sleepers are. A definite plus to all of this. We're also living with my mum and dad at the moment. We asked to come for two weeks and here we are just about two months into it. So I'm not sure how they feel about that. It's a chance to catch up with them and have some breakfast in the morning. And often there might be news items on, particularly in recent days as New Zealand goes into lockdown. So whether that's on our phones, checking news or social media, that sort of thing is a, is a big part of it. We do aim to shower at some point just before putting on our active wear. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, it's yeah I guess when I start to work one of my priority is the mentoring so that's what I start with in terms of one thing I've done which I would encourage people to really do is a video for the kids every day and it doesn't have to be involved or fantastic or you know polished or whatever a lot of the time it's me standing in the garden honestly there's sheep in the background there's all sorts like it's crazy but I think for students particularly the younger ones just seeing your face makes a difference as a teacher and it makes you feel more connected 
then I get into the emails and often there's lots that have happened overnight. And of course, as a teacher, there's always marking and preparation. Um, I do try to take some time out to go for a walk with my mum and we usually walk for about half an hour, which is nice. I think one of the tough parts for teacher parents, and I know there are a number of you out there, is balancing the supporting your, your own children with meeting the needs of your school children and colleagues. Whenever my kids get stuck with something, I do have a commitment to stop what I'm doing wherever possible and support them with that. I'm lucky that I have kids that are slightly older, so they're mostly independent about that sort of stuff but but that's what happens of course we do lunch and meetings and mentoring and something that I've tended to do quite a lot is a bit of procrastinating, baking which I try to involve the kids yeah try to involve the kids in in that as much as possible and if there's one routine I've managed to hold on to it's been like a 5 p.m gin with my mum which <laughs> sounds pretty terrible but it's something that forces me to step away from the laptop and that's the time that we usually cook dinner together or if we're not in meetings and that's been quite a nice bonding experience for me. We always check the news at night around dinner time and we haven't been very good at avoiding work until we go to bed. But if I were to have a goal, it would be to decide on a cutoff time for schoolwork and let that go and spend a bit more time with the family before the kids are in the bed. Yeah, it's, it is really hard to have that cutoff time, isn't it? And to, to put it out, work out mm. the way for a while. But I like your idea of the 5pm gin and having dinner, you know, just to have something that takes you away <laughs> from it and something to look forward to and yeah. and some little things like that to schedule in, whether it's gin or a glass of wine or a coffee or whatever, just to have a little break and to schedule that in. I'll move on to the next question. Have you found any strategies that are particularly helpful for engaging and motivating students? Yeah, I work with a really great design team and something that we've really tried to incorporate into the work is a bit of humour. By way of example, uh, my colleague Rob always includes a dad joke in every video he produces for the students. And as we take turns in producing the videos, we've incorporated those. I even got my dad to do one of the dad jokes in the video. <laughs> Um, we're also working with a graphic design unit at the moment, which I find utterly brilliant, but maybe the kids aren't quite so interested in. So I took a walk down my local um, shops and found some examples of places that need to be revamped and need their logos redone. And so as a group of uh, design teachers, we're redoing one of the logos for a bookstore in town. So we're trying to bring things to life and share a little bit of our personalities in with the work that we do. I also find that kindness is really important and being understanding about kids having slightly different uh, things going on in their lives. Um, it's not easy for many of them. For example, a lot of the students that receive learning support are finding this really challenging to remain motivated. I've found that if you can schedule a video call with those students, they really appreciate it. And then they can talk to you as a person instead of just having to do some more work by emailing you. So I think just being understanding and being kind, like even if there are students that have work that is late, instead of going, I noticed that you haven't done this, you haven't done this, you haven't done that, by starting with, hey, I'm really worried about you. I haven't heard from you in a while. Is everything okay? How are you going? Where are you placed right now? That approach coming from a point of care and concern as opposed to only caring about academics, I think is, is not very helpful. That's really helpful advice. And how much of your teaching has been live teaching and how much independent work or um, sort of emailing and things like that? I know schools are really looking at different ways of, of doing this. And certainly my recommendation would be to go with asynchronous. So 
not expecting the work to be done when it normally is. So if you have English at 9am on a Monday, that you do that for online learning, that's certainly not a very flexible approach. For me, I've done no live teaching with students. But having said that, we prepare screencasts and we have scheduled times that we can be online for support. So we have had students touch base about going through some of the activities. Another thing that we do, which I think Jennifer Gonzalez refers to as dog fooding, which is doing your own assignments. So for our design work, we are actually doing the work as well as the students. So that helps us iron out any kinks and what they have to do. It helps us know how much time it's going to take them and what's realistic. Um, the majority of the work for us has been independent work for students, but with a lot of video support. When I'm teaching teachers, which is the other part of my role, we've done much more live sessions. I did a session on how to use uh, Microsoft Teams for those that were new to it. Anytime that people are a little bit stuck or they want some support, I had a teacher that wasn't sure on how to set up Education Perfect last night. And so we zoomed and went through that. I think just sometimes having that face-to-face -face makes it more personal and easier. They could look at a tutorial, but they prefer to have you there. I guess it's a decision lots of people will be facing at the moment as to whether to have the live teaching or looking at more sort of screencasts and office hours. And that's, I think that's really helpful advice. What role have parents played in the process? I think for parents, it depends on how old their students are. Of course, we always hope that parents will be as engaged as possible in their students learning, but it's going to look different when you've got a 17-year-old as opposed to a three-year-old or a five-year-old. I teach high school. When it comes to parent support, it really comes more into play when the students aren't able to manage their time effectively, but also to champion the great work that they're doing. For me, who I've got sort of middle school age children, I'm encouraging them to get outside, encouraging them to have a book ready, to take regular breaks and to help out around the house <laughs> so that they know that we care about what they're doing and how they're feeling. I tell you what, I've learned a lot about middle school maths again <laughs> that I had forgotten. But certainly there are some um, recommended tips for parents in terms of questioning their students and, and being supportive. And I'll share a few links with you to share later on. Great. No, that would be really helpful. And I guess sort of in summary, I mean, all that you said has been so helpful and I've learned a lot myself. And I think even from our work perspective, which is different, obviously, to a school, I think a lot of your advice we could put into practice as well. But what, in summary, what do you wish someone had told you at the start that you've learned from this experience? Um, what I have learned is that overall, be kind to yourself. It's about survival first. And the most important things are systems for communication and learning management. They need to be in place. I also think that less is more. We can't expect to do the same amount of work if there's not a teacher to guide and support there. So lowering your expectations. I think I mentioned this before, but chunking projects into smaller pieces so that people are able to meet deadlines and to see what work they have to do and to be able to organize it themselves in a better way. Something that I know works particularly well for students that have uh, learning needs, but also for just all students, is to make instructions and your demonstration of knowledge and understanding multimodal. Video as well as text, audio instructions or chances to explain with audio rather than always having to write things down. So having that flexibility. I know even from an adult perspective, I realize I think I understand instructions better when it's in a yeah. video rather than just written down. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think there are times for each, but I think the more that we can hit all of those pieces, the more chances we have of students learning or demonstrating their learning in better ways. 
in terms of mentoring to always presume positive intent, both with your colleagues who are equally stressed and may not communicate in the kindest way all the time, but with your students who are, some of them really struggling with the isolation, really struggling with not being able to get out, being concerned and worried. But if you come from a place of care, I think that's really important. And I I know that for me, I would support asynchronous learning, even if teachers are doing screencasts and so on. Having having students be able to organise their day in a way that makes best sense for them. I know many of them like to sleep in and work really late, whereas other people prefer to get up and do a bit of exercise. Having that flexibility, I think, is important, but also providing synchronous opportunities to see each other. It might be a that we've even had assemblies at school where where the the middle schoolers have all been on together, which I think they've really enjoyed. And. Finally, to those of you that are online or on Facebook or Twitter, to use your network. Like I've said, we have been doing this for, this is the end of our seventh week. We've made enough mistakes. We've we've got some ideas about what works. So don't reinvent the wheel. Learn from other people and don't be afraid to reach out for support. Yeah, I think that is the such amazing advice. Thank you so much. And really from all that you've said has been absolutely golden and I think teachers listening to this will really be able to take away a lot of practical tips um, to help over this period. Who knows how long it's going to go for but thank you so much for all your wisdom and advice. If people are keen to connect with you I'd encourage them to follow you on Twitter and hopefully you know learn from your ongoing experience. Um, So thank you so much today Kerry Lee and um, all the best for your continuation of this unknown journey that it is. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, and enjoy your time here in New Zealand as well. Make the most of it. I know we're just about in Fiji our season. I'm very excited. <laughs> yes, but definitely got to make the most of it. For sure. Thank you for listening to another episode's podcast. I hope you found it helpful to hear about Kerry's insights from the last seven weeks. I learned so much from chatting to her. I love the idea of having mentor students that you can touch base with every day and also the concept of having office hours and screencasting videos rather than trying to replicate a traditional school timetable. I think Kerry's advice and strategies are not only valuable for teachers but also parents and people working in other domains too. If you are keen to connect with Kerry, I would encourage you to follow her on Twitter and learn more from her great experience. Also, she has compiled some very useful links which have some more great advice for both schools and parents who are operating in remote environments. You can find these in the show notes. Last of all, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the wonderful support of our producer, Paula Prass, and our brilliant sound engineer, Yasmin Novak. Thank you again for listening and look out for our next episode.